Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. So, yeah, it's good to be back up here. It's been a, a few weeks, um, and I always say that I feel like sometimes I get overprepared, <laughs> and you have that much time. But um, I am, uh, yeah, really joyed to be uh, up here with you guys and um, to just open up the Word. And this is honestly something that I've just feel felt stirred in my heart for probably a few months. I've been talking about it with uh, uh, Caesar and, and Crystal and um, in different ways. And, uh, and I, yeah, I just, I feel like, I just really feel stirred by this. I, I really believe that God's going to encourage us deeply this morning as a community. Um, in some ways, it, it ties into where we've been at with, with hearing God's voice. Uh, it has a connection there. And then depending on the time, we may be able to get into uh, specifically the story of Mary, which will connect us to the season that we're in, which is Christmas season. But um, I, I feel, honestly, sometimes I can uh, wrestle. I, I'm always focusing on, on, you know, what's next, what to do. Um, but there are sometimes the Lord just really grips me with excitement um, to, to the time that we're in as a body. And um, <clears throat> I really feel that right now. I feel a unique excitement. Um, over uh, over this house and uh, and what God is doing, and I um, it's just really special. Some of the things we were sharing before with um, where we're where we're located and the things that are happening, and um, sometimes to step back and just say, God, this is it's a miracle. Everything that's happening here is literally it's a miracle, and and I believe um, God has uh, God has incredible promises for this house, and I want to just speak for a few minutes about inheriting the promises of God. Or, or carrying the promises of God. And, and I, believe, um, I believe the Holy Spirit will minister deeply on a personal level because I know that we all carry your personal promises. And, I, and I, we bless that, and, and I, I'm excited for how God will do that. Um, I do feel a particular burden, though, to speak on carrying the promise as a house because God has put something in us as a, as a community, as a body, I feel a lot of Jesus. <laughs> and what can happen a lot, what we'll see is that when God gives a promise, um, there, is a, there is a process that unfolds before fulfillment. And if we're unaware of that process, we can get really disappointed and discouraged along the way. But I want to I wanna encourage your hearts this morning that God has spoken things, and just because there's resistance or just because there is a timeline uh, and things aren't maybe necessarily going as we uh, thought, that does not mean you have not heard from God. <laughs> Amen. Uh, so I, I believe God's going to deeply encourage us individually, but as a house, that God has put something inside of us that he's calling us to, to carry and to bring to fruition, to birth. And we're, we're called as believers to, I believe we're called to live by promises. We're called to live by promises. I think it's something like 7,700 promises are found in the scriptures by God. <laughs> God is a God of promise. And Paul, this is very important because when you go through... I think it's particularly, you really see it has to come out when you go through hard times. That's where you've got to live by the promises of God. When everything around you is testifying that it's something different, you have not misheard, you haven't missed it. Um, you're right in line with what happens according to the biblical stories. <laughs> and, I, and I want you to know that, um, t- let me put it this way, Paul told Timothy, he says, this is a really well-known text, 1 Timothy um, 1.18, he says, Timothy, wage war with the prophecies spoken over your life. And what he's saying, he's saying, Timothy, I want you to live by God's prophetic promises. The things that he's spoken over you, Timothy, this is how you have to live. You've got to keep these things before you. And there's specific ways of which you can wage war, and we'll hit on some. 
But the point is that he's telling Timothy, you, got, you have to live by the promises of God. Why would Paul say that? I believe it's not, Paul's, Paul's not giving some callous advice as an instructor to a student. But Paul, on numerous occasions, including that very text in 1 Timothy, says, Timothy, you are my son. And I believe what's happening is Paul, as a father, as a spiritual father to his son, is not just giving cold counsel, but he's giving a piece of his heart. He's saying, Timothy, this is how I've lived. I have lived by the promises of God. And as your, as your mentor, as your father in the faith, I exhort you to also live by the promises that God has spoken over your life. You need to learn to wage war with them. When you, listen, when you or when us, right, apply it however you want, but for us, when we receive a promise from God, here's one way I think to understand it. <laughs> this is really encouraging, is that God, God is not limited by present, meaning he is past, present, future, all at the same time. So when God gives a promise, one of the ways to understand it is that God who sees the future has come into your present and is giving you a necessary word based on where he sees he's taking you in the future. And that word you are meant to hold to, to cling to, to wage war with as you are on a journey to God bring you where ultimately he's called you to be. Amen? So God has uh, um, something very special for us. I believe God's put something inside of us. We've taken Sunday services to speak about it. I think the, the easiest way to summarize it, I believe in my heart, and it's not alone, there's so many others, that God is bringing city revival to Massac Beach and ultimately to this island. I believe that. <laughs> if, it feels, if it feels like it's too much, we're in good place. If we can rationalize and understand it, it's not a God dream. God dreams always lead you beyond what you can understand. As we'll see if we get there in the case of Mary, Mary said, how will this be? The Lord said, I will overshadow you. <laughs> this is the only way. This is what we're crying out for. God, we need to be overshadowed this morning once again freshly. For what you've put before us, we cannot do in our own strength. I, I believe God has, I, I, I firmly, I'm gripped by it. And I just feel like I'm awakened again by this and in an even deeper way. And I just want to, we got to consistently come back because it's easy to lose sight of this, that God has promised through people in this house, through people outside that don't even know anything about it, that God is going to bring a, an incredible move of God that I believe will forever shape the city and this island. And, and it's not for anything to say we were part of, but it's for God to be glorified, for him to receive everything that he's worthy of. And when I, I just want to put this before you, I'm not speaking at length about revival, but it's important to know when we talk about this, we're not talking about adding an extra service. <laughs> I'm not talking about a few extra hours to one of our gatherings. When you talk about a revival of God, um, in seminary, I've spent the last few months just pouring over revival history, and I've been so stirred by this. You're, you're talking about a sovereign work of God in which the Spirit of God is poured out in a unique, tangible manifested way upon people and a region that's undeniable revival history shows that revivals are not um you don't have to question if you're in one <laughs> they are actually datable definable moments like the beginning of the first great awakening it's even dated 3 a.m fetters lane london the wesley brothers whitfield gathering taking uh, the lord's uh, communion Worshiping God, 3 a.m., the Spirit of God came and fell, and everything shifted. They could go back and point, pinpoint to the time. The way it ends may have more of a gradual ending, but there is a definable moment where something is poured out, something is felt. And when that happens, there is a power of God that comes that, that is witness with the natural eye. There's a power to save in a unique way that we've never seen. Even the hardest of hearts, the most obstinate towards the faith, fall on their knees and cry out for Jesus. Those that you say, I don't know how this can happen— 
you just see masses coming to the Lord. Mass of repentance and turning to God. You see uh, the, the kingdom of God is demonstrated healing and deliverance, which is normal for Christian life, but it gets intensified. Do not think these things are uncommon. <laughs> and in fact, they will intensify more and more in our gatherings as we continue to press in for this. One of my favorite things that I've learned about revival, studying them, is that they actually often occur in the most obscure, hidden places. Hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't that so good? <laughs> that encourages me. The least likely places and the least likely people is where God often works. Not always, um, but it just seems to happen that way a lot. And what happens, one of the patterns you see is that prayer, prayer precedes revival. But more than that, promise precedes prayer. We often know prayer comes before revival, but what actually comes before prayer is promise. Meaning we don't just, where do you find the courage and the strength and the perseverance to keep pressing in and calling down heaven, uh, calling down heaven, uh, fire from heaven to fall? It's because we get gripped by an actual word from the Lord. This is what you'll find throughout history is that men, women would, would say, I sense God is about to do this. And then they said, this is where they found a strength to press in and begin to cry out to God. And God would eventually do the very thing that he has said. So I want you to turn with me to Hebrews 6, please. Are you ready? I believe this is going to really encourage us. And it's sobering too. (laughs) Because to bear the promise of God, you bear the reproach often of the world. But here's what I will say. Not that it's anything about this, but when you go through the, the history books, if you will, no one remembers the critics of the revival. But there are many. There are many that come. That's another topic. All right, let's read verses 11 to 12. I want to encourage us with this. I want to set a stage, and then uh, hopefully we'll be able to just look at Mary as a living example of this. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 to 12. It says this, verse 11, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So we're talking about inheriting God's promises, carrying God's promises. Now this is probably specifically highlighting a lot on actually just core salvation promises, but there is an eternal universal principle about how we as God's people inherit the promises of God. It's through faith and patience. And the writer of Hebrews is encouraging the people of God to say, I want you, if you're going to be a people that endure with faith and patience to inherit God's promises, you need to have hope. Because what he says here is that the opposite of hope is that you become sluggish. And I believe that God wants to impart hope into our hearts this morning. Again, I could keep repeating this, in your own lives individually for what God has spoken, but as a body, God wants to impart hope. And what the enemy wants to do is to impart sluggishness. And sluggishness is when you get dullness, it's when you, have, you fall into inactivity, it's when you actually get stripped and drained of all vitality. You lose life, you lose, you lose zeal to continue to contend for what God has said. 
But God is desiring that we would remain in hope as we, in faith and patience, inherit the promises of the Lord. And what happens is, is that if we don't learn to properly deal with the gap between promise and fulfillment, you fall into sluggishness. And really, one of the things that I've seen, I'm going to speak a lot from personal, is that what, what begins to creep in is a nasty word, word called disappointment. <laughs> This is what I feel is so strong with sluggishness. And I feel God wants to, again, increase our hope and our faith as a community that we would not fall into discouragement or disappointment as we are in the gap of promise received and fulfillment. In fact, if we're called to live by promises, guys, think about this. If we're called to live by promises, that means we're going to have to learn how to properly navigate the threat of disappointment in our hearts. For we will, we will be constantly living in the tension of promise received and gap of yet not fulfilled. And if we don't know, learn how to navigate our hearts, we get into disappointment. And that's a serious, serious thing because Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. If, if, if we let hope be stripped from us over what God has said, you fall into a sick heart. Disappointment is a, makes us vulnerable to spiritual disease. <laughs> have you ever felt that? I know I have. When you get disappointed over, hey, God, you said this, but it's not going exactly the way I thought. If we don't learn how to navigate that, disappointment hits our heart. And that's a breeding ground for spiritual disease. It robs you of vision, purpose. I'm speaking personally here. You get bitter out of anyone and everyone. You start blaming God. All of these things start creeping. And then the worst thing you can do is make decisions out of disappointment. That's very dangerous that when you fall in a state of saying that rather than learning how to wage war and realign your heart to say, God, I'm going to trust in your leadership. I know it doesn't look like what I thought. I know the timing is longer than I, than I expected. But God, I'm going, to, I'm going to realign my heart. That is so essential that we do not then make a decision outside of what God uh, ultimately has for us. Amen? Now this one, again, I, I, this is personal. <laughs> but I believe that disappointment Here's what I said. I may say I'm disappointed because it's not happening as I wanted, but here's what I'm really grappling with. The faithfulness of God. Now, I may never want to say that publicly. <laughs> we may not want to say that, but what we're really questioning is, God, are you faithful? That's what's really underlying here. Now, there are many reasons, I think, that can cause disappointment in a heart as you're in the gap of promise and fulfillment. But I have found, I think, maybe one of the key reasons, if not the key reason. It's very simple, but I, I want to encourage us in this. And then we're going to look at some examples. I think one of the key reasons that causes disappointment when we hear the word of God, the promise of the Lord, is that we have an unbiblical timeline and expectation as to what that should look like when it unfolds. That it should be immediate and easy. It's very important that we understand. One of the biggest ways to get disappointed is to have unmet expectations but a lot of times what happens is that we're not rooted in the testimony of scriptures as to what happens when someone receives a promise. But if we would, as we will today, this is not to discourage, but to encourage us that you have not missed it. You have not taken a wrong turn. You don't need to manufacture something. You don't need to force something. You can patiently, with faith and patience, wait to inherit the promise of God, no matter what comes your way. Amen? Um, the promise of God, I think, falls in a group that could, you could use words like will of God, call of God. There are distinctions, but in many ways, those things are very similar. When we start talking about promise of God, will of God, the call of God. 
And here's what I found. I have found that God's promises, his will, his call should be a source of joy and excitement. Yet often, it's a source of fear, worry, and anxiety. And the reason why, I think, is because, again, there's much misunderstanding as to promises, will, and what that means in the call of God. One of them being that the call of God, the will of God, the promise of God is a highly narrow path that has one prearranged route. And if you take the slightest misstep, you've missed it all. <laughs> but that is not the case when you look in scriptures. There are so many ups and downs in the process of men's life. You will go through seasons of which you think it has no bearing on what God has promised in your life, but God, God is a holistic God. He cares about everything. One of the most, one of the things that God still brings me back to is there's promises that he's given for me in a personal level and then all of a sudden I feel like I go through seasons where the only thing he's speaking to me about is being a better husband and father. And I'm like, God, what does heaven do? He says, this all matters. <laughs> this all matters. I'm not just trying to get you somewhere for a ministry thing. I care about every single part of you. Don't rush out of this. Don't pass through this. I'm strengthening you. I'm, I'm, I'm growing something deep inside of you. I care about every aspect of you. No part of your journey is overlooked by God. Most of our angst comes from we have one expectation of what the road should look like, and then the road traveled looks very different. <laughs> but if we could realign our heart in his good leadership, that he's loving, that he's faithful, that he's never lied, we can then submit ourselves to what the Lord is doing. So the second thing that, that, that we're getting into today, though, that I think brings so much fear and worry over God's call and the promise is the misunderstanding that when he speaks, we're meant to immediately jump into it. But that's never the testimony of Scripture. <laughs> In fact, um, there's, there's a doctor, uh, Dr. John Ruthven, has uh, really inspired me on this and um, has taken a principle that I may have known, but just he's, he's, he did something. He just put it deep in my heart. And um, one of the things that's interesting is that when you look at uh, the Scriptures from old and new, 60% of the Scriptures are written in narrative form. That's a large percentage. More than half the Scriptures are written in story form. And do you know that if you go through each story, it's basically the same exact pattern every single time. Do you think God may want to... If 1 Corinthians 10.11 says that these stories serve as, as instructions and examples for us today, do you think if 60% of the Bible is following a similar pattern of how God works, God may want us to understand how it will look in our life? <laughs> What's the pattern? Here's what happens. God comes to a man or a woman and he speaks, sometimes in an unspecified way, sometimes a dream and a vision, and it's always something so far beyond their natural strength. And then typically, not always, but what you usually find is they respond with yes. Now that, my friends, right there, the response to God's word, that is faith. Pastor Crystal is going to speak on this next week. She just gave me a dirty eye. She said, don't you dare go there right now. <laughs> she says, that's her word. <laughs> no, but, but I want you to understand this is, very, this is really important, is that faith, I know we've shared this, but this is very important. Faith is not getting a list of like core doctrines and saying, I agree with that. You may be able to say that's belief as in a mental agreement, but faith is, is active. Faith is alive. Faith is God speaks, and then you take your life and you respond and start living according to what God has spoken. So what happens again, God comes to a person, he speaks a word, then in faith they respond. They don't just say, God, I believe you exist, I believe you're with me. They actually begin to make life decisions to respond to that word. And then fulfillment comes. No. <laughs> then the next pattern is there is a long period of which the word is tested. No one is excluded from that. 
a long period of which the word is uh, uh, tested, a long period of which the word, they actually endure intense stress, they'll, they'll endure persecution, suffering for the very word and promise that they are carrying. But as they continue to say yes, God is stretching faith in their heart. He's doing something deep in them because along the way, every time there's a temptation to say, I'm going to just bail, I'm going to do this, God, they remain and God deepens faith and deepens faith because they keep giving their yes to God. I have been so far from perfect on this in my initial response. But one thing I, I will say just to encourage you is that I've felt this over and over. And then God, you just come back and say, God, I realign my heart. I trust in your leadership, God. I'm going to, do, I'm, I'm going to follow everything you said. I believe in what you said in my life. And something is strange. God is strengthening and deepening faith in your life. That's faith, guys. It's faith when all odds are... Abraham. Abraham had hope when there was no more reason for hope. <laughs> Everything inside of him about this word was tested, but he said, God, I believe you. You know what's amazing is that Abraham actually jumped the gun. <laughs> he did. He did. He actually, you know, this, this story gets used a lot that um, I feel like you can lose the weight of it, but it's a, it's a significant story. He actually, he was promised a, a promised child, but had Ishmael. You guys know the story. You know what's amazing, though? Just to encourage you, is that in the end, when you go to Hebrews Hall of Faith, it never mentions any of that. Yeah. It just says that Abraham obeyed. God's divine editing process. <laughs> that in all of his ups, downs, resisting, fighting, in the end, Abraham did what God said. Even though he kicked sometimes, even though he did some things the wrong way, even though he tried to prematurely make this thing happen, probably because he was disappointed and saying, how is this ever going to happen? We're just going to make it happen. But thankfully, God in his grace was over Abraham's life. Consider the Hebrews Hall of Faith. This is the entire pattern of the Hebrews Hall of Faith. Over and over, God introduces the patriarchs, judges, prophets. He goes through a series. It runs the whole gamut. And each time, their story is introduced by, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, Moses. By faith, Joseph. And then it will tell you how they endured much opposition to the word God gave them. But they stayed true to the word, and it came to pass. Stretched to the limit. In fact, if you really want to be challenged, <laughs> as I was, read the end of the Hebrews Hall of Faith. Verse 36 to 38. Some of the things that it says, it says that others suffered. They were uh, beaten, flogged. They were put in chains, imprisoned, sawed in half. They had to wear the, the, the skin of sheep and goats, meaning they didn't have any natural like, resources. They were, they, they were wanderers in caves. It says the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. And I believe the encouragement for us is that if they can endure so much for the promises of God, can we not? <laughs> we absolutely can. And let me encourage you. 1 Peter 4 says that when you're insulted for Christ, the spirit of glory rests on your life. If you feel that God has given you something and now the gap is very different and you feel like life and just so many things are going opposite to what God said, I want you to know the spirit of glory rests on your life. I want to pray for that right now <laughs> and move forward. Yeah. Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment? I just want to encourage those that may feel like that. Lord, we're asking that the spirit of glory in God rest on this house. And I pray it especially rest on those 
who find themselves in the midst of a hard gap, I pray, God, that when people see their life, they would see the spirit of glory resting on them. And I pray, God, that you would use everything that's happening to encourage them and to lead people to know you. We ask for increase, increase. I pray we would even see with our own eyes. We'd be able to testify to one another. I see glory resting on your life. I see glory increasing on your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, I was going through some of the characters in uh, Hebrews Hall of Faith. Let's consider this. Moses received the promise, fulfillment, 40 years. <laughs> Paul, touched by Jesus, 15 years. David, 20 years. Guys, these are long gaps. Now, God can do things short, but this is to encourage us. If you feel like God said something, you're like, what is going on? 5, 10, 15, 20. You, you have not missed it. <laughs> That doesn't mean that doesn't mean you're actually right in line with a biblical testimony. Your story, if the scriptures were still being written, is about to be included in the continued Hebrews Hall of Faith, if you would. The spirit of glory will rest on your life as you endure to see these things come to pass. Don't quit. Don't abort. That's the only way that a promise can't come to pass. And, mo- and God still trumps those things many times. But if you would use that example, is we abort it. We, we, we get rid of it. Because the cost of sacrifice is too much. But continue. Continue to remain faithful in it. Abraham, 25 years. Read their stories. These aren't just long times. This is intense persecution too. David was promised kingship. He didn't step into a throne. He stepped into 20 years on the run from Saul, hiding in caves as Saul tried to take his life. And you know what? David had an opportunity. You know David in the caves had an opportunity to take Saul's life? And you know what that would have meant? He would have stepped right into the promise of God. And David said, I will not be tempted to take a shortcut. Said he cut a piece of his robe and he said, I'm going to wait if you would. I'm putting this, but this is what he's doing. I'm going to wait on Lord's timing. He had, he had a temptation to take a shortcut. And he said, I won't do that. I'm going to wait until the Lord brings me into the place that he has for me. I will not touch the Lord's anointed is what he was saying. Joseph, 20 years. Joseph received two dreams that essentially his whole family would bow down. Joseph didn't step right into it. He was then betrayed enslaved and imprisoned. <laughs> These are intense things, but God was with him through the whole thing. I want to, you know what, let's read this. Come to Psalm uh, 105. Real quick, I just want you to see this um, psalm. Are you guys tracking with me? I pray this encourages us as as we're wondering, God, did I hear you? Did I miss something? Are you punishing me? Not at all. Not at all. We're right on track. We rejoice. (laughs) We rejoice in everything that's happening in the process. Look at Psalm 105, verse 16. This is regarding Joseph in the Old Testament. I just think this is incredible. Verse 16 says, When he, meaning God, summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread... He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Now listen, listen carefully, verse 18, 19. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. It's speaking to his imprisonment, his slavery. Verse 19, until what he had said, meaning God said, came to pass. So he endured this until what God had promised came to pass. God is faithful. 
And then look at the last part of that, verse 19. The word of the Lord tested him. (laughs) The word of the Lord tested him. Do you think Joseph along the process said, God, did I mishear you? Did I misunderstand? Have I done something wrong? Is this punishment? No, no, no. The word of the Lord is testing you. Your faith is being deepened. Your faith is being strengthened. I'm with you. Mary was declared, oh my goodness, we're going all over. Mary was declared highly favored. Mary was declared highly favored. I don't know about you, but if I think you're highly favored, I'm thinking circumstances are going to look very favorable. They didn't look like that for Mary. She endured much. But in the eyes of God, he says, this the favor of God is on her life right now. She's blessed, even though it may not look like that in the natural eye. Now, did God, do you think, we're, we're, we're mentioning some of the challenges, but do you think God left these men and these women to just walk through this alone? Not at all. God will supernaturally encourage you, not just with the original word, but with consistent words and other things along the way. Dreams, visions, he's going to keep giving you things that are going to strengthen you. Listen to this. Come to Isaiah 50, verse 4. Some of you might right away will be able to identify certain ways God has done this in your life. Isaiah the prophet was another one who endured much. But he, he gives a word here that I think shares a principle of how God encouraged us, and we'll see it in Mary's life in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. Sorry, I didn't, let me confuse you, not 54. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. And here's what he says. Isaiah says, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught. So this is supernatural wisdom knowledge that God's giving him, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Keep reading. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. What is Isaiah saying? He's saying each day God awakens my ear to hear his speaking voice. And the word of God strengthens the weary. If you were to study the stories of the men and women that I just shared, what you will find is that God did not say good luck. Along the way, God brought people, God brought visions, God brought dreams. Who, would, When they felt like they were about to give way, God would say, don't quit. You're blessed. Remember what the Lord said. Abraham, Abraham, look at the stars. You will inherit this, Abraham. You will, God will come through in your life over and over and over. And that word from God like that has a supernatural strength to the weary. There's a grace on it that encourages you. Have you am I alone in that? <laughs> Have you experienced that? <laughs> He'll do that. My goodness, we were just uh, with a few friends at Wolf Lodge. I just remember this. We were at Wolf Lodge this past week. Anyone been to Wolf Lodge? It's a great place for kids. A.K.A. I bring the kids, but it's really me to enjoy it. But listen, here's just one example that just happened. Uh, Ray was there, uh, and Caesar was there for a moment, and I had a conversation. One of the guys serving the food, he hears, I think, me and Caesar speaking about God. That's what we do. <laughs> and we're there in the lines, and, uh, and he, says, he says, wait a minute. He says, you believe in Jesus? And he's like, you know, got trays and stuff. I said, yeah. And uh, he starts ministering to me, and um, like deeply, and I can't even get into how specific things we were saying that I was studying on my own, but basically he says, the traditions of man, he's saying today, are leading people to believe that the Spirit of God no longer moves as he used to move, <laughs> that God has ceased to move in the miraculous. And I'm like, brother, do you, <laughs> do you understand what we've been teaching uh, the last few weeks? And he says, but I believe God is going to touch people and bodies where the Spirit of God is going to move so mightily again that it'll be undeniable. And... Um, this was along many things. I like got food. I was expecting to turn around and just see the guy disappeared. <laughs> he was still there. But really, I'm like, 
Those are, when I just start, disappointment wants to creep in, God comes in and just strengthens your heart again. Over and over and over. Johnny just had a crazy uh, uh, Zoom call. I wish he was here. I'd bring him up. But it was about, uh, you know, we've been praying because the Lord had said it about a building. This lady has no idea who Johnny is. She works with him, but she said, hey, can I, uh, I just feel like I want to have a Zoom call and just check in, see how you're doing, get to know you. And as they're talking, she starts staring, uh, sharing stories about how basically a move of God broke out in a little storefront church. And, uh, uh, and all of a sudden, and then she said, and, and, and how they, God supernaturally provided a building for them. And then, uh, and then she says, I've, I feel like I don't know much of what you guys are doing, but God's going to provide for you guys in a supernatural way. He already has it. And these things happen all the time. This is God encouraging us along the way, which is so, so beautiful. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Let's... Um, Let's go. I'm going to share just for a few minutes on, uh, on Mary's story. Let's come to Luke chapter 1. In many ways, it's here, but it's going to increase, guys. <laughs> it's what we need. So I could go to a number of different places to... Uh, stories to encourage you. I, I chose Mary, one, because her story really captures everything I just shared. She's going to be a living example of what I just shared, hearing God's word, being tested, seeing it come to pass, and also seeing God's divine encouragement along the way. I want you to see that. And part of it is because we are coming into the Christmas season, so this is an appropriate story to highlight out of all of them. Um, so let's go to verse 28 of Luke chapter 1. So this is just, you know, the story of Christmas is a story about promise and God's desire to partner with his creation to bring about his will on the earth. God could, and sometimes does, just do something all on his own. But if you look in the scriptures, what you often find is God first looks for a man, a woman, a people to begin to share his heart with, that they would labor with him in prayer, in the works that he calls us to do, to bring this thing onto the earth. And Mary serves as a beautiful picture of this. Mary is a prophetic picture of what it looks like to carry the promise of God. Now, she literally carried a human, the God-man, Jesus, but every promise is yes and amen in Christ. He is the picture of the ultimate promise. And what Mary is a, serves for us in one way, I think, is a picture of how we are to carry the promise of God that he's put inside of us as a house. So verse 28 says, and he, this is an angel that comes, Gabriel. says, and he came to her and said, greetings, which some translations say rejoice. Actually means rejoice greatly. O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Twice she's declared favored. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So Jesus will be, uh, verse 32 says, And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Hallelujah. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Now interestingly, right before this, Zechariah has a similar encounter and gives almost, a, almost an identical response, but he's muted. I believe what that tells us is that Mary's response was not an unbelief. It was, a, it was an expression of deep humility. Mary believes the Lord is able to do whatever he wants to do. She's just acknowledging that, if God, if you're going to do this, I do not possess the ability, 
the natural resources to bring about what you are saying. And God says, that's right, Mary. (laughs) The only thing I need is a yielded heart. There is nothing special about Mary. Do you know that? There's nothing special about Mary. (laughs) The only thing that she had was a surrendered, yielded heart that said yes to God. And here's what God said with that, verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. How will this happen, Lord? I can't do this. I'm a virgin. He says, that's right. But the Spirit of God will come come upon you in strength, overshadow you. To overshadow means to come under, to lose control. It means, to, to, in, in essence, to, for the Spirit of God to take leadership over your life. In other words, to take hold of the promise is to let go of control over your life. That's what Mary's actually going to have to do here. That's sometimes a frightening thing, <laughs> right? But that's what we say, Lord, if I'm going to bear this promise, I'm also going to give up control as to what the direction my life will look like, and I'm going to submit my life to you. And then it goes on to say that Mary would say yes, and she said, let it be according to your word. So here's, here's what I want to do. I, I just want to encourage you with some of the challenges. I'm just going to read them off. I just jotted a few things down as to some of the challenges Mary endured and then some of the ways God encouraged her to kind of just give you a living example of what I've shared. Uh, and then we'll, um, we'll open up and, and, and pray and see where the Lord goes from that. Is that all right? So Mary was declared, before I share these challenges, Mary was declared favored. And she was, it was said that the son that she's carrying, Jesus, is great. Why is that important? Because like I said before, I'm going to assume that if an angel just declared my life is favored and that what I'm carrying is great, my assumption is that it's going to be a very quick and easy ride from that point forward. <laughs> but that is the furthest thing from the case. And so again, I, I, I encourage you that if you've heard from the Lord and it has not been easy or quick, that does not mean that God is disappointed. Actually, you may have immense favor over your life in the courts of heaven. For what God sees is very different than what man sees. It, there may be times of easy breakthrough, but just because there is restriction or, or friction in what you're pursuing does not mean that uh, somehow you have, have missed or God is angered by any means, as in the case of Mary. And here's what's so encouraging is that when the angel came to Mary, she said, the angel said, rejoice. Some translators say greetings, but what she, he was actually saying was rejoice. I believe this was a pastoral exhortation from the angel that Mary was meant to not just have for a one-time moment of exuberance, but to walk with her entire life. Mary, you need to rejoice at the call of God and the promise of God over your life and his good leadership to bring it to pass in your life. Why? Because you are going to face many misunderstandings and many troubles along the way. And this isn't just a one-time thing to say, wow, this is amazing, and then move on. Mary, you must constantly come back to rejoicing over what God is doing in your life. You must constantly realign your heart that when you seem perplexed and when flesh wants to manifest, yes, and you want to do things in your own strength, Mary, you must, must, must say, God, I rejoice and trust in your leadership. Even if it's a thousand times, you must realign your heart again and again and again and again. And as you do that, faith, love, humility is deepening in your heart along the way. Saying, I learned to trust you, God. So here's just a few things I noted on her struggles. And I promise tonight we have the, the encouragement of God. But this should encourage you as well. That, that this imitates, we ought to imitate this. Number one, uh, I noted that Mary's husband, Joseph, do you know that she was going to, he was going to divorce her? It says in Matthew 1 that he was going to do it quietly because he was a righteous man, a good man. But nevertheless, that tells me that when she first told him, he did not believe. 
But in loving her to an extent, he said, I will send you away because by law she could be stoned to death. Now here, I don't want to read too much into the text, but I'm going to imagine that Mary, and we know that she's a young teenager, I'm going to imagine that she is thrilled over the prospect of being engaged and the marriage that is to come and the family that will be started. That's a dream, a pursuit of hers. And yet to embrace this call of God, this promise of God, the very thing that she's dreaming about gets threatened right away. Right away. Said, Lord, this is what my whole life I've been looking for. Well, if you carry this, are you willing to give it up, right? Now, I want to encourage you, what God has is always so far beyond uh, what we think. But sometimes we've got to go through a process of learning how to lay that down and take up what God has. And then eventually, what, what, what God is doing on the inside of Mary, what she's carrying, begins to be seen by others. And she begins to, uh, no doubt, receive, uh, you can only imagine the whispers and accusations uh, as to either, here's, here's the case, either she's an adulterer or she's delusional. <laughs> I mean, she's claiming that God has gave her a supernatural birth. There's no way, uh, there's no middle ground there. Now, for the first few months, no one could see that, but eventually what she was carrying began to show. Eventually, what you're carrying begins to show. I, the Lord is really speaking to me on this, that when I look at where we start as a church, I believe right from the beginning, from our inception, God has put this type of hunger and tenacity for a move of God. What's happening over these last few years is that we're beginning to show more and more as to what God has put inside of us. It's changing. It's changing in our, in our activities, prayer room, evangelism, everything about it. You're beginning to see more and more in the way God's moving gatherings. The only thing that's happening is we're beginning to show more and more and more as to what we're carrying. <laughs> Do you know that just to prove this, I never knew this. Do you know that in John 8 verse 41, when Jesus was having a discourse with the Pharisees about who their father was, said Abraham, they were saying, they said Abraham, but he really says your father's a devil. Do you know what they say to Jesus? Yeah, I know that's pretty, pretty strong. John 8:41. they say, we were not born in sexual immorality. Do you know, I didn't know this. You know that what most scholars believe is what they were doing, they were making a dig at the way Jesus was born. They were saying, you were born in immorality. 30 years later, and the rumors about Mary were still circling so that she's an adulterer. She bared the scars on her reputation forever because of what she carried. That's real. That's real. Revivalists, well, even if they pass, they still bear scars from what was said over their life because of what they carried for God. But he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. No matter what comes in this house, he's worthy of what he's carrying. I want to lay my life down for only what he desires. Man, we, we, we still good for a few more minutes of this? The, and I'm... <laughs> Greg, don't rebuke me, Greg. <laughs> Greg rebuked me in that. Listen to this, the birth of Jesus. Consider this. I mean, these are stories you read through, but when Jesus was ready to be born, we all know what happened. She went to the inn. First of all, she takes a long journey. Uh, thank God I've never been in the agony of uh, child labor, but she was well advanced in her pregnancy and had to go on a long journey. Might be questioning God, how, why is this happening? And then when she gets to where she needs to go, the inn has no room. I don't know about you, but I would think that the God of the universe, bringing about the greatest promise ever, would have considered that detail. <laughs> and he did. But this is part of his plan. God, you could go through something and say, wait a minute. God, I would have been sure that this, this would have worked out differently if your hand was in it. And God would say, I am in it. God was in it. She gave birth in, the, in a dirty stable. But God the Father said, this was my plan. All along, it was, there was humility and everything was exploding from this. And only in his infinite wisdom 
can we now look back and understand what God was doing through all of it? But I'm sure along the way saying, God, did I miss something? Like, I'm birthing your son on the earth, and I don't even have a place to go. Shortly after the Magi come, you know, Joseph has another dream that they need to flee to Egypt because Herod's going to kill all the babies two and under. For two years, Mary lives as a refugee in Egypt, separated from her family because of what she's carrying. Joseph, her husband, is mentioned when, Mary's 12, uh, when Jesus is 12 years old. After that, she, Joseph is never mentioned again in the scriptures. Most believe that Joseph passed away at an early age. Do you know that in the scriptures, when it mentions Jesus' family, he had multiple brothers, I think four, and multiple sisters. Mary, as a widow, was to tend for about eight children. <laughs> Again, carrying the promise of God, I would say, if I'm carrying this promise, God, this will, be, this will work out a certain way. That wasn't the case. Um, and the last thing I'll just say, and then I'm going to bring you the really encouraging things, <laughs> but, uh, is that the angel... Uh, the angel said that Jesus was great, that her son would be great. But I want you to know that as she watched her son grow, greatness didn't always look like what you may think it looked like. Do you know where Jesus was most rejected? His, well, maybe, perhaps the temple too, but his hometown. His hometown. Think about this. Mary had to watch her close friends and family in her hometown reject the one that she carried. To the point that Luke 4 says that they tried to push Jesus off a cliff in their hometown. I, I hope I'm not prophesying over my own life here. <laughs> but seriously, she, he was rejected deeply in, in his hometown. And she had to watch family and relatives. You know that it says in John 7 that Jesus' own brothers rejected him? Think about that. Mary had to watch her sons reject which, the very one that she carried. At least for a period. Guys, this is like stuff that Mary had to go through. <laughs> but listen, along the way, God was very active and not silent, in supernaturally encouraging Mary as she was bearing this. Not only was God producing something beautiful in her heart from, those, from that stretching, but God was right there along the way as he is in your life, as he is in our life as a corporate body. So let me just finish with these. Right off the beginning, right off the bat, Joseph, he has a dream that what Mary said was correct. Do you think that encouraged, not only is there prophecy, but do you think that encouraged Mary when her husband also had a dream? Absolutely. During the pregnancy, at the three-month mark, when she's beginning to show and probably the whispers are growing in the community, Mary goes to her uh, cousin's house, Elizabeth. The baby in uh, Elizabeth's womb leaps, and it says Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesies how she is blessed over what she's carrying. A prophetic word was given. She's probably beginning to be concerned, saying, man, everyone's going to begin to see what I'm carrying. And right away, God releases a prophetic word to encourage her. Keep going. You're carrying this. You're carrying this. Shortly after Jesus' birth, you know who comes into the, the stable is some pretty excited shepherds who just had a crazy angelic visitation of which they were told that the Savior, the, the son of David, was just born in a stable. So here comes Mary after giving birth, and she's got shepherds coming into the room saying, we just had a host of angels appear saying, what you are carrying is the Son of God. Do you think that encouraged Mary? Absolutely. A few days later, they take Jesus to dedicate him into the temple. They're confronted by two prophetic witnesses, Simeon and Anna, who both begin to prophesy the glorious identity over the son. Simeon holds the child up and says, my eyes have seen salvation. Do you think this encouraged Mary along the way? Absolutely. God made Mary present for the very first public miracle that Jesus did, turning water into wine. She saw the 12. She even witnessed his resurrection. 
So as Mary is bearing all these things in the gap between promise and fulfillment, God's voice, Isaiah 54, is strengthening her, strengthening the weary through prophecies, dreams, and bringing other people to speak encouragement. Amen? And that's what he's doing with us. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And Mark, if um, I want to pray over us. If Mark, if you could just play something, please. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I want to leave you with a, a testimony that I pray will encourage us as a house as to what God has put in us for an incredible move of God. And so whatever is the best way for you to receive this, if you want to close your eyes, whatever it is, lay down, kneel, it doesn't matter to me, but I want to I just share this over you. And then we're going to uh, pray for those who would like to remain and, and be prayed over. But a lot of times when we speak of moves of God, we, we often emphasize the first great awakening, and understandably so. Uh, but there was another uh, awakening that hit this nation that was profound. It was the second great awakening. Only a generation later, after you had men like Edwards and Whitfield and the Wesleys press in and see God move across multiple nations, Germany, England, and the colonies, a generation later, and the people of God had already forgotten the hand of God and what he had done. And it says that deism, the belief that God exists but no longer is active, living and breathing among his people and moving, had crept in so strong it reached the height during the eight, beginning of the 1800s. The universities, Christian universities were plagued by this, teaching this, that God can only be known through reason and as important as that may be, but God cannot be encountered. God cannot be experienced anymore. God does not move. God does not speak. God is silent. God has wound up the clock and now letting it run on its own. But a few staff and students in universities begin to hunger for God, begin to get a, a godly jealousy and zeal in their heart, and they begin to cry out. It says in Brown and Yale, Dartmouth, and these universities, they begin to cry out, and the Spirit of God began to move. And quickly, the Holy Spirit was moving so profoundly, it moved from the universities, think about this, at 1800 to the lawless frontier of America where things were absolutely crazy. <laughs> and it says there was a specific pastor there by the name of James McGreedy. And he was leading three churches. He was a Presbyterian pastor. He was leading three small congregations. One of them was Red River Church. And it says that he began to be gripped by this desire for God to move in power. He had heard what he was doing in, uh, in the universities and he, he began to say, guys, we need this. If we're going to have any uh, ability to see change in this lawless frontier God we need a spirit of God to move and so here's what he did this so encourages me he told his church we're going to pray corporate prayer meetings twice a week <laughs> sound familiar <laughs> and then he said and once a month we're going to corporately come together and we're going to fast and pray <laughs> and they did this for four years and during that four years they saw zero 
tangible fruit from these prayers. Until one meeting, when they were praying, and it says the Holy Spirit came. Remember we said revival has a definable moment and came and touched them powerfully. And I won't share, you can read testimonies about it, but God moved so mightily over them. But what happened was, is there were other pastors that began to come to see what God was doing in this little church in nowhere. And one pastor there, his name was Barton Stone. He took this and went back. He was in Kentucky. He went back to a place called Cane Ridge. And this is where the revival reached its pinnacle. It was known as American Pentecost in 1801 at Cane Ridge in Kentucky on the open fields, guys. It says 10,000 to 25,000 would gather. That is absurd based on the time period and based on where they were gathering. Droves would come in. Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterian, all denominations were coming out there. They said people would come out there living just raw, reckless lives as you would expect on frontier life. And during this week, the Spirit of God moved so powerfully. And what's amazing is that this place in Cane Ridge, it was known as Rogue's Harbor. And you know what Rogue's Harbor was? It was a den for the lawless. In other words, criminals would seek after coming to this place for a safe haven. It was so bad that at one point, local residents raised up arms to try to fight against it, but were defeated. But what they could not do with natural arms, the Spirit of God would do with prayer. And when the revival hit Cane Ridge, Rogue's Harbor, which was known for giving safe haven to criminals, was so radically transformed that today it serves as a staple of the Bible Belt. God so radically transformed this, this place that was, had a reputation for one way when the Spirit of God came that now it is known as a place where God and His people dwell in abundance. And there was one particular individual by, by, by the name of James Finley. He was a free thinker. He wasn't a Christian. But he said, I have to go see what God is doing on these open fields, 25,000 gathering. And I want to read an actual quote from him. This is, an, uh, this is a primary source, and this is what he says. As he describes one gathering, this all comes back to James McGreedy, fasting and praying for four years. All of this is the fruit of that. Here's what he describes on the scene. He says, the noise was like the roar of Niagara. 25,000 people. <laughs> The vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated as if by a storm. Some of the people were singing, others praying, some crying for mercy in the most pious accents, while others shouted uncontrollably. A strange supernatural power seemed to pervade the entire mass of mind there collected. And at one time, I saw at least 500 swept down in a moment as if a battery of a thousand guns had been opened upon them. He's speaking about the power of God hitting them. 500 just came upon them. And then it says, and then immediately followed shrieks and shouts that rent the very heavens. And this place became a birthing of the Bible Belt. Before we open up to those who personally like to come, I just, would you guys, I just feel we need to pray as a, as a, as a house for a moment. Amen. Why don't you just begin to just lift up your voice right now? Just begin to ask God. We're asking God for this. Jesus, we need you. We need you. We need you, Lord. We know your promises, God. We know what you've spoken over this house. We know what you've spoken over this region, God. We're asking you to do it, Lord. We're asking you to do it, God. We need you to pour out your spirit, oh God. We invite a fresh overshadowing, God. Like Mary, we say we're unable to do it, Lord. 
We say, come. We say, come, Lord. We ask, God, that we would be strengthened by your word this morning. Where there's been weariness and disappointment, we ask, God, you would supernaturally strengthen our hearts as a house. God, that we would not, we would not quit, God. We would not turn, God. That we would continue, we'd continue to, to bear, to bear, God, what you've put inside of us, Lord. No matter the cost, God. No matter if reputation goes, God. No matter if it costs family, God. Lord, we desire to see all of our family and friends a part of it, God. But we, we put you first, Lord. We ask, God, we ask, God, come. Lord, we thank you for that. You've seen our future, Lord. God, you see perfect vision over a transformed city here, God. Would you grip our hearts for what you see? God, I ask myself, God, I just, I repent, Lord, for partnering with lies of the enemy and disappointment, God. Lord, I repent, God. I publicly uh, repent, Lord. God, you know, you know, Lord, that I've doubted you, Lord. I pray, God, you would strengthen, God, and you'd strengthen me, God. You'd strengthen your people this morning, God. And we would believe, God. Thank you, Lord, that your word encourages us, God, that we're on a godly timeline, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're actually strengthening our faith, God. You're strengthening, God, love and humility, God, in our hearts. God, I pray, we ask, God, that you would give visions and dreams that it would arise, more words would arise to strengthen us, God, to move forward, God. We want everything that you've promised to come to pass, Lord. We pray, God, that this neighborhood road, God, it would be changed, God. Like you said, it would be built up with kingdom businesses, Lord. We pray that William Floyd Elementary, God, would be touched mightily by the presence of God. Lord, like we heard in Pensacola, God, that young children in the school would come under the conviction of God and the power of God, and they would, they would touch other students, God. We pray that teachers would be touched, Lord. God, that there would all of a sudden be conviction over curriculum that's being taught. God, we pray that prayer would be restored to the schools, God. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. We pray you would touch homes that are known as, as incubators for addiction, God, and propagating this filth, Lord. We pray you would come and save them, Lord. Come and remove drugs, God. Remove the taste, God. Come where there's broken homes, Lord. Come and rain down righteousness, God. God, come and break generational curses, Lord, where there have been long lines of absentee parents, God. We pray, God, that you would break it by emerging families of health, God, whole families, husbands and wives, God, children raised up in the ways of God. God, you said that you would bring outsiders to come and behold, politicians to come and see what you're doing, Lord. We hold to these words, God. Come and do it, Lord. Come and do it, Lord.